have children or, or young grandchildren, if you were, you were to ask them today, where does food come from? What, what do you think they would say? Right, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to, to bet a large, I heard someone say it, a large percentage of them would say Walmart, right? Uh, and, and maybe even a, a high percentage of uh, adults would too, uh, because we live in such a modernized society that uh, most people in our culture think food comes from the grocery store. Uh, and even those few who maybe think beyond the supermarket would give credit to the men and women who, who milk or, or plow or who plant and harvest. Uh, and as for the money used to buy those groceries, well, most people think it comes from the product of their own labor. In other words, they forget God with all of those answers. Right? They, they don't include God in the picture. They forget just how dependent we are upon God to give us our daily bread. And I don't mean just the bread that you made your toast with this morning. But all of those things, all of those blessings that flow only from the direct providence of our Heavenly Father. And today in our psalm text, the one that you guys sang so beautifully, Psalm 65, David picks up that theme and shows us how from start to finish, from beginning to end, from soup to nuts, uh, salvation to sanctification, our God is not only the ultimate source of provision, but is a God who's intimately involved in our daily lives and in our eternal destiny. So I hope you'll join me in the Psalter, uh, Psalm 65. And it's superscribed to the choir master, a Psalm of David, a song. And he writes, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. To you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. The one who by his strength established the mountains. Being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. You know, I started out by telling you it's very commonplace in our world for people uh, to live nowadays, live out their lives with very little thought beyond their own tiny little self-existence, right? Uh, especially in this world of, of Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter where our own personal thoughts and, and ideas and, and beliefs 
on any and all topics are being daily presented as if they were the ultimate expression of reality and importance, right? Like what I had for lunch today, right? There's a picture of it. Because today the prevailing worldview is that this life is all for me and all about me. And you see that really portrayed everywhere these days, in in books and and in movies, in magazines, television programs. In fact, um, it was either last week or the week before I saw a really good example It was on one of those uh, sitcoms that's on either USA or WGN, one of those channels. Uh, And and nobody in the house was really watching. It was just kind of one of those things where the TV is on. Uh, But the part that I caught was a piece of this Thanksgiving episode that really makes my point for me, where one of the main characters uh, manages to make the thing she's supposedly grateful for for Thanksgiving somehow all about her. And and so she starts out by saying... uh, there's so much for me to be thankful for. So, so far, so good. And she said, I try to practice gratitude almost every day. I try to be cognizant of the fact that in a world of 7 billion people, I'm truly fortunate to have not only my basic needs met, but so much more. She said, I never have to fear where my next meal is coming from, whether my home will keep me safe from the elements, or if I can get good medical care if I get sick. And she said, you know, my life is pretty cushy compared to most people alive, and for that I'm grateful. And she finishes off this gratitude moment by saying something to the effect of, and so today I'd like to not only silently thank the universe for all of my good fortune, but just to let everybody know how good I have it. That, have you ever heard anything more, anything more deluded and self-serving than that? But that, that's the worldview that's out there, right? How, how good I have it. Now, now, maybe she used the words fortune and fortunate simply as figures of speech. We probably have all done that a time or two. But it really crosses the line when she attributes this good fortune to the universe, right? As if the universe had a mind and a will of its own. As if the universe could act on its own. But we Christians know better, right? So who gets the credit for what we call blessings? Uh, God. Yeah, it's not fortune. It's not good luck. It isn't the alignment of the stars. Uh, It isn't good DNA or a healthy diet. Uh, It's not the government. It isn't science or technology. It isn't even me and all of my hard work and intelligence. But it is God who is the source of every good and perfect gift. That's why David said today, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. You provide their grain for you have prepared it. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. What is that, seven or eight? You, right? You, God. Beautiful picture of godly gratitude for everything God does for the world and for his people in it. In fact, David said he's thankful for everything, even down to the rain. Now, I might argue with him a little bit about that after this past week. Maybe Dick would too after the shingles got blown off of his house. But... Pastor John Piper, if you know him, has a great illustration on this that I want to share with you. It's a little little long, but he kind of does it in a a conversational form back and forth, and I think it's perfect. Uh, He says, picture yourself as a farmer in the Middle East, far from any lakes or any streams. You've got a few good wells to keep the family and the animals supplied with water. But if your crops are to grow and your family is to be fed from month to month, Water has to come on those fields from another source. 
Well, what other source? That source is the sky. The sky, water comes out of the clear blue sky? Well, well, not exactly. This water is going to have to be carried from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then poured onto the fields. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, let's see. If one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland, that comes to one billion six hundred fifty thousand five hundred and one thousand two hundred and eighty pounds of water. Hey, that's pretty heavy. So how does this? How does it get up in the sky and stay there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really, that's a nice word. What does it mean? Well, it means that water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up. Oh, I see. Well, well then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? What's well, when water starts becoming water again and gathering around little particles of dust. But what about all that salt? Salt? Well, yeah, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? The salt has to be taken out. Oh, oh, so you're saying now that the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, carries it 300 miles, and then dumps it on a farm. Well, well it doesn't dump it on the farm. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So, so the sky dribbles this billion pounds of water down in little drops, and they have to be big enough to fall for a mile or so without evaporating and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat. But, but how does all those microscopic specks of water get heavy enough to fall? That's called coalescence. What? Coalescence. It means the specks of water start bumping into each other and they join and they get bigger. Well, how do those specks of water uh, not bounce off each other instead of joining up? Well, it has to do with a positive and negative electric field. What? Oh, never mind. Just take my word for it. <laughs> but did you ever think about it like that? Right Now, I, I know we get more than our fair share of rain sometimes here in Florida, but did you ever stop and think how miraculous it really is? Right? That just blew me away when I read that, so I wanted to share it with you. And how thankful we should be for it, right? I, I don't think I've ever really thought about it like that before. But, you know, when we take a careful look at a simple everyday thing like rain... It's really one of the unsearchable wonders of God for our provision, isn't it? And so David said, The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain, and they shout and sing for joy. So where does our food come from? Well, David knew. Now, of course, admittedly, he knew because he lived at a time when People were more closely connected to the land, and so they more readily recognized God's hand in the harvest. But what about you and me? Do you and I recognize God's hand in, in food and in rain and everything else that we're blessed with? I hope you do. But you know, we can't stop there. Because if our gratitude doesn't go beyond praise for physical blessings, we're missing the main reason for giving thanks to God at all. And so we need to also remember that in the Old Testament, for the Old Testament saints, the people of David's day, that they saw God's physical provision as a sign of spiritual provision too, in every circumstance. And so David could say, 
Uh, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. This is not not to the universe is all flesh coming, not uh, to luck or or fate or even our own self-reliance, but to the throne room of heaven where we know that prayers are heard. Right, the uh, Eastern Church Father and uh, one-time Archbishop of Constantinople, John Chrysostom, wrote uh, a beautiful paragraph about prayer. He said, uh, prayer is an all-sufficient panoply. It's a treasure undiminished. It's a mine that's never exhausted. Prayer is a sky unobstructed by clouds. It's a heaven unruffled by the storm. It's the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It's bridled the rage of lions. It's hushed anarchy to rest. It's extinguished wars. It's appeased the elements. Expelled demons. The power of prayer has burst the chains of death. Expanded the gates of heaven. Assuaged diseases. Repelled frauds. Rescued cities from destruction. Stayed the sun in its course. And arrested the progress of the thunderbolts. Sadly, we hear so little of that today because like everything else, we've turned prayer into a means for our own ends. We pray for selfish things. And we seldom wait on God's response long enough to think about what He wants for us. And you know, in doing that, we're robbing the Holy Spirit of the opportunity to prompt us in our requests. And you know, brothers and sisters, that's a paramount need today is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because when we understand and experience it correctly, this is the incredible twist, and I want you to think about this. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it makes God both the enabler of our prayers and the provider of the answers to them. The Bible says the Spirit helps us in our prayers. So at one time, the Spirit is the enabler of our prayers going up, and God's the provider of the answers coming down. As God calls us to Himself and gives us the privilege of coming into His courts where all of our physical and spiritual needs are satisfied with the glorious fruit of his electing love. That's why David said today, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. And you know, in saying that, David is calling our attention to something else that the influence of our me-centered culture uh, has really increasingly warped in the mind of the church. And that is the means and the motivation behind our salvation. Because you see, just like uh, the world teaches you that you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you've got to make your own mark, that you have to reach your goals, the worldly church preaches that salvation is a matter of works too, Uh, of human and divine synergy where God does his part and we do our part and then we're saved. And you see that with with churches and uh, with worldly pastors who say things like, would you just please make Jesus the Lord of your life today? Well, I've got news for you, brothers and sisters. Jesus already is the Lord of your life today, with or without your permission, and whether you like it or not. The only question is, will you repent and believe the gospel, the true gospel of the God who knew and loved you from before the foundation of the world and who laid out a determined plan to save you without any human cooperation necessary? See, that's what grace means. Grace means God makes the first move. God takes the initiative to seek us out 
rather than to leave and wait and hope we'll find him. It, it means that God takes the initiative to give us what we have and have no way of getting on our own. That's why grace is called a free gift. Because it's entirely dependent on his love and his initiative and has very little to do with us. The scriptures are clear on that. Clear on that truth right from the beginning as our Lord himself said in John 15, 16. He said, you have not chosen me. I've chosen you. And in John 6, he says, uh, no man can come to me. How many is that? None. No man can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him. And the Apostle Paul was crystal clear on this in Ephesians 2. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is what? Not of your own doing. Not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see, by ourselves and in ourselves, we have no power to connect with God. All we do is in the words of the revivalist preacher and one of our congregational ancestors, as a matter of fact, Jonathan Edwards, is grasp that you and I contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I love that quote. That you and I contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You see, the plan of salvation is God's plan from beginning to end. It's not humanity's plan because most of humanity doesn't think they have anything they need saving from, right? But we know better. That's why David said, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. David's saying, in God's plan of salvation, first we have to understand that we need to be saved. It is to recognize that those iniquities have prevailed against us and our selfish desires have gotten the better of us. And simply put, we need to be saved because we've sinned. Because all have sinned. The Bible declares that very clearly too. That message from Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We've all been in rebellion against God. We've all chosen to do things that are wrong. Things that, that harm others uh, and damage us. And most importantly, dishonor God. And because God is holy and just, He cannot and will not allow sin to go unpunished. And the punishment for that sin is eternal death and separation from God. But praise God, He doesn't leave us at that point, right? God didn't sit idly by and watch the world go to hell. He did something about it when we were utterly unable to save ourselves. God became a man. He became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a sinless life and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And more than that, more than that, credited us with his righteousness. And I know I've used this illustration before a bunch of times in Sunday school. Uh, and I think I might have even used it in another sermon. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you're $100 million in debt. Okay? Some of you might be, I don't know. $100 million in debt. Someone comes along and pays off that $100 million. What does that do for you? It gets you out of debt. Yeah. But it only brings you up to zero. Right? Now imagine that same person not only wiped out all of your debt, but they gave you a check for $100 million more on top. Right? Now you've got something. Right? And that's what Jesus did for us. 
That's what the great reformer Martin Luther called the great exchange of justification. And when he wrote about it, he said, this is that mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, whereby a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ, but ours. Because he has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. And so Luther said he pleaded with his flock. He said, learn Christ in him crucified. Learn to pray to him and despairing of yourself say, thou Lord Jesus art my righteousness and I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what was mine and given me what was thine. Thou hast taken upon thyself what thou wast not and has given me what I was not. And you know, as if that weren't enough, as if all those things weren't enough at the cross and at the exchange to seal the deal, God raised Jesus from the dead and by his resurrection demonstrated that his sacrifice was sufficient and that our salvation is assured according to the predetermined plan of the Father. Just like we read in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Because in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Incredible, right? That he would do all of that for us. And so in our psalm text today, the prophet King David, carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit, looks ahead to God's Messiah and he says, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. Right? Our, our Yeshua, our Jesus, the hope of all the ends of the earth. And you see, that, that's it. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. That's God's plan of salvation. Will you receive it? Will you place your faith in Jesus as your Savior? Will you repent and believe the gospel as you feel the Spirit's tug on your heart and change your mind from embracing sin and rejecting God to fully trust in the sacrifice of Christ as perfect and complete payment for your sins? You know, if you do, the Bible promises that you'll be saved. It promises you'll be forgiven that you'll spend eternity in heaven. So by the Spirit's power today, if you've never done it before, place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And remember where your help comes from. Acknowledge its source. It's not you. Fly to the font and praise God like David did. Praise God from who all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.